Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Luna Love of the Podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded the Araqual people of the Bunjalung Nation, and pays respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to Luna Lover, the podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Levine. This week we have an interview episode. It is in line with Sagittarius season. I actually recorded this interview a couple of months ago now, but honestly, it has stayed with me this whole time and I'm so excited to share it with you this week. We'll get to that interview in a moment, but first... Just a little reminder that I'm holding an event this Tuesday, December 13 at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. It's an online event. It's called Align with 2023. If you're an astrology buff, you're not going to want to miss this event. We're going to have a look at what some of the astrological themes of 2022 were and what we have learned from them. It's always important to reflect. And then we're going to have a look at some of the big astrological happenings of 2023 and how they affect you based on your natal chart. So you're not going to want to miss this. I rarely hold events outside of the Lunar Lover membership these days, and this is going to be a big one. It'll set you up for the entire year. If you can't make it live at that time, that's totally fine and understandable, um, although it's good to make it live so you can ask me all the questions. But if you can't, that's fine. You will receive the recording a few hours after the event finishes. If you would like to join me, there is a link in the show notes of this episode. Or if you head to the Lunar Lover Instagram account, Luna double underscore lover, you can click the link in the bio and um, it'll take you through to book yourself into that event. So my interview today is with Emma Carey. You might know her better as the girl who fell from the sky, which also happens to be the title of her new book. Nine years ago, Emma went skydiving with her best friend in Switzerland. What started out as an adventure of a lifetime ended with her parachute failing to open and her and her instructor crashing straight into the earth below. They both survived the fall and Emma remained conscious the entire time. But Emma's fall from the sky is honestly the least interesting thing about her. I absolutely adored this chat. She is bubbly, inspiring, funny and kind if you're looking for a holiday read or a Chrissy present that everyone will enjoy, I cannot recommend Emma Carey's book more. It is called The Girl Who Fell From The Sky. It's beautifully written. It's so inspiring. 
and I just devoured it. Like I hope you're about to devour this interview. Enjoy. Do you know much about your own astrology? Um, not really. So I've had a reading what do you what are the, what's it called when they read your chart with yeah, like an astro- a natal chart reading yeah 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 um and I found that so interesting and so accurate as well hey. it was so funny something he said to me in particular is um uh something about the time I was born there's like a lucky charm attached to that time because it was a new was it a, is that a new moon something to do with that I don't yeah, know possibly. anyway and he said no matter what happens you'll always get back on your feet and I was like wow that literally is what <laughs> I literally got goosebumps yeah yeah yeah. and he didn't know anything about me and I was like whoa um so I I really loved that and I would love to learn more um but I don't yeah I don't know that much I know I'm an Aries I don't even know what my which is so surprising because I'm so into it but I haven't even looked up what my like rising and sun and all right so we, we usually start off by asking your sun moon and rising i probably yeah. should have given isabel the head up the heads up but that's okay what what is your sun sign uh aries aries okay and do you know do you know much about uh i definitely relate to being an aries in the sense of being very independent and also erratic very i very much just do what i want to do yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. necessarily follow a path um so i feel i relate in that way i don't i don't really know too much else yeah no I mean you've hit the nail on the head that is that is areas they're very sort of self-orientated and not necessarily in a selfish way but like an independent way yeah which is which is really beautiful I think you've got a I think you've got a lot of those fire qualities and it'll sort of come up as we as we start talking about your story a little bit yeah cool I wanted to start off really by addressing one of the quotes on the back of your book and your book is the girl who fell from the sky it's the Sam Matt quote, and he says, the accident, honestly, is the least interesting thing about M. Carey. And do you know what? I have to agree with him. And as I, I was reading it, as I was reading it, I thought, I mean, we'll talk about the accident, obviously, because it, you know, it starts your story. It, re- it reframes the person that you've become. But when we look at sort of the journey you go on throughout the book, the accident really is the least interesting part about would would you agree having been the person who's been through all of this yeah well thank you for saying that because to me it feels like the accident is just something that happened to me it was a two-minute period of my life and obviously it caused so much change in so many ways but that's something that happened to me whereas I feel the rest of the book are things that I made happen for myself yeah and so it's the like it's the most common thing people ask me about skydiving and it's weird because it's nine years ago in my life and I truly couldn't care less about skydiving like it's not it's not a part of my life at all so it feels so weird that it's such a focal point of of how people view me when to me it's it's not something I think about so it definitely doesn't feel like it's the most interesting thing about me hopefully (laughs) yes and and it's not and we'll go into what makes you a very interesting person but for people who aren't familiar with your story and I can't imagine there's many people especially in Australia (laughs) but honestly like it's so funny before you tell it I when I received this book from your publisher 
I was like, oh yeah, M. Kerry, like I know M. Kerry, I've been following her on Instagram for years, you know, oh, and I thanks. thought, I know this, I know the story. I know the story. I've listened to interviews with her before. Like, what am I going to find out in this book that I don't know? Well, I mean so much. It's so nice to hear sort of the background of, you know, the incident that led to where you are now, but everything that you went through in the process and you have been very open with a lot of the behind the scenes on your Instagram account, which I think is so beautiful. But what was so great about the book was sort of really um, getting access to your inner mon- monologue during that, yeah. that yeah. journey. Yeah. So let's, let's start at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and talk about that day. Yes. Yeah, so when I was 20, I uh, was traveling Europe with my friend Gemma and we decided, well, I decided to go skydiving. She very much did not want to, and I made us do it. So thank God it didn't happen to her. Um, and it's so funny. I hadn't even considered that it was dangerous. I just, I didn't give it any thought. I just thought, yep, can't wait to skydive. It wasn't something that I was nervous for, um, which in hindsight was weird because I feel I'm a very intuitive person and I can normally sense when something big or bad is about to happen. And I had absolutely no, no sense of that um, at all. Anyway, we went up in the helicopter, loved it, jumped out, loved it so much. Have you done it before? I've never done it before. I would like to, but I'm just very adamant with everyone that knows me that I'd never want to be surprised with it. Like I want to be able to prepare. Oh yeah. That's so fair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I I absolutely loved the feeling of free falling. I just remember feeling so calm and so peaceful, which is not what you would expect when you're plummeting to the ground. But then I felt a tap on my shoulder, which is from the instructor telling you to cross your arms over your chest before they pull the parachute And so I felt the tap and then I never felt the pull of the parachute or us slowing down. But because I'd never done it before, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't immediately know that something was wrong. I was calling out to him and he wasn't responding. And I thought maybe he just couldn't hear me or something. And then as time went on, and it would have only been a few seconds, it was all so quick. But I very quickly realized that something was definitely wrong. We were definitely about to crash because we were still going far too fast and the ground was getting so close. And I could even see a tangled parachute like in front of us instead of up above us. And yeah, it was just, it went from feeling very peaceful and very calm to the most petrifying feeling I've ever had. I, in, when I was writing the book, I found it hard to know what words to use because we use words like fear and terror for so many other things, which, which obviously we're right to feel fearful for other things as well, but it just felt like a completely different emotion because it was a million times anything I'd experienced before. Just that, that deep knowing or thought, I thought it was knowing that I was about to die. What sort of a time frame are we looking at between leaving the helicopter and being in that moment of absolute terror? I feel like it would be a minute or two. I don't think a free fall lasts that long at all, but it's interesting. Time didn't feel real because it was happening so fast and I knew we were getting to the ground so quickly, but I also had so many different trains of thought. Um, It was like time was very warped in those moments yeah and was the instructor talking to you 
No, so he was unconscious. I didn't realize at the time why, but he had got strangled by the cords of the parachute coming out. They wrapped around his neck. And so that explains why he couldn't untangle them or help us in any way because he was unconscious. Yeah. Okay. So then you guys hit the ground. Yeah. At at what kind of speed do do we know? What sort of speed? I have literally no idea what speed. Very fast. (laughs) Um, And I landed on my belly and he, because he's strapped to my back, he landed on top of me. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's so many questions that, of course, you're not going to have the answers to, but I'm sure at some point maybe you were asking people (laughs) what, like, you would think that falling at that speed and falling from that distance that you would lose consciousness. Yeah. How is it that you didn't? Did anyone have that answer for you? No idea. People always ask me this. They're like, what did the investigations find? I'm like, they weren't investigating how we survived because it doesn't matter. We survived. They were investigating why it happened. So uh, honestly, I think it's just one of those things that is just a miracle and there's not really an explanation. I didn't think it was possible to survive that. And I, yeah, honestly, no idea. Do you remember the thoughts that were running through your head in those seconds where the ground was getting closer and closer or did you sort of disassociate at that point? Uh, Yeah, I remember it all perfectly. I remember thinking the main thing I was thinking was just such a deep sense of regret because I was only 20, but I'd never, I'd never stopped to think about how much I wanted to live before. And it sounds obvious that I would have had the thought, oh, of course I want to live. But I, I was shocked at how deep that longing was because pre this happening, I was just kind of like plodding along through life. I wasn't like an actively excited person about being alive. I was just going through the motions. So it really shocked me at just how much I wanted to survive and how much I still wanted to do. And I don't even mean a list of like, I wanted to have a family and do this or travel. It was just like, I knew that there were so many human experiences that I hadn't had yet. And I just wanted to be able to enjoy them all. Yeah. All right. So you've landed on, you've landed in this field and there is no one else there at this point, except the instructor on your back who is unconscious at this point. I'm assuming you didn't know whether he was dead or alive. I assumed he was dead. Thankfully he survived, but at the time I definitely thought he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. And can you just walk us through being from being in that field to the steps that sort of happened to get you into the hospital at that point? Yeah. So Gemma, who was jumping with her instructor after me, she didn't see anything happen, thankfully, but her instructor must have because they landed where we landed, which wasn't where we were supposed to be. So that would have been probably like three minutes later. But again, time didn't feel real then. It felt like an eternity waiting for someone to get there in my mind. And because in in those moments, I had realized that I was completely paralyzed. I'd tried to get the instructor off me and I realized I couldn't move anything from the waist down. So I was just laying there so panicked, not knowing if anyone was coming. I didn't, I didn't know what would happen. Um, but then when they landed, they were able to call the emergency services. And I remember a policeman arrived and then an ambulance and then the ambulance, the paramedics took one look at us and were like, we're going to need the helicopter. (laughs) We're going to need to go straight to hospital. So then an emergency helicopter came and we got flown to a city called Bern. Yeah. Okay. So I um, have only ever been in a hospital once overseas and it was in India and it was a terrifying experience because nobody spoke English. Yeah. 
I'm assuming that was a very similar experience for you. Yeah. 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 So everyone, well, not everyone, but most doctors or nurses could speak at least a little bit of English, but it was very hard to have a fluent conversation with anyone, Um, especially about something so serious. I just wanted every answer. I wanted as much detail as possible and I couldn't get that. So that was scary. Uh, But in terms of the Swiss hospital in general, it was probably one of the best places in the world to be. It's so incredible over there. Everything is so advanced, so clean. It was, it was just, I remember coming back to Australia and going to hospital. And as we know, Australia also has amazing hospitals, but in comparison to Switzerland, I was like, oh my God, take me back. Switzerland was just so like, wow. One of the things, well, first of all, I want to say I cried a lot when I was reading your book and not because I was sad, but because some of the things that you were saying were just so beautiful and profound and sort of like, you know, soul shaking, I guess, the things we take for granted in our life and and the little observations that we probably miss out on when we're walking around on our legs fine, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a few sort of incidents that happened for you or moments that happened for you while you're in the spinal ward um, in Switzerland. Um, whether it was meeting certain people or witnessing certain people. And again, when you when you were flown to Sydney as well, what are some of the moments that really stand out for you? Um, one of the most pivotal moments for me and my, I guess, whole life from that point was a conversation that I had with someone in the spinal ward who had actually had their accident two years before me. And so he, we were both in wheelchairs at this stage and because he had been for two years, it seemed pretty likely that he wouldn't get back out of his wheelchair. And anyway, I remember him saying to me just in passing, I'll never be happy unless I can walk again. And I think up until that point, I'd kind of just subconsciously thought the same because when we were going to physio every day, it seemed like walking was the aim of the game. Like it's what we were all striving towards. But when I heard it worded like that in such a matter of fact way, I thought, wow, that's such a risk to place all of our future joy on this one very specific thing that it's looking pretty likely neither of us will get. And so from that moment, I made a very conscious decision to focus more on my mental and emotional journey rather than the physical, because I wanted to make sure that I would be okay whether or not my legs got better and whether or not I started walking again. And obviously I still wanted that so badly, but I wanted to know that I would be okay with or without that. Yeah. I think what's so interesting is, you know, I'd I'd been watching you on social media for so long. I assumed that you were an innately positive, optimistic, go-getter. But that was not you before, before the accident, was it? No, not at all. And I I think I used to think that people either were that or they weren't and yeah. people just are the way they are. I didn't realise that we can um, control our personalities so much and we can become the, I always looked at these like sunshiny people who were bubbly and, you know, infectious to be around. And I was like, oh, I like, I wish I was one of those people. And I just, I didn't realise that I had any control over, over that. And that I also thought that people who were that naturally bubbly and happy all the time just mustn't have experienced any hardship in their life, which honestly, I think it's more often than not the opposite. I think people who have gone through really hard things have made such a conscious effort 
to be positive and to be able to still see the world in a in a beautiful light that um that yeah sometimes it's the people who've been through the most who are actually the happiest and it was so yeah it was so inspiring such a naff word but it was so inspiring to read because I think you know every day we have like our little grievances that sort of bring us down and uh, slip us out of our sunny disposition but to have been through um, and we'll get into some of the like turmoil that came after the accident as well but like you know to be through something so catastrophic and then to also have to deal with everything that comes after it and still find that sunniness and that optimism is really so inspiring oh thank you I, I think what what really helped me was that I had been awake for the accident and I remember it all so clearly so even when things were difficult I had such a strong memory of how it feels to think I'm about to die. And I just felt so constantly lucky for surviving. So even when things were hard, I was like, yeah, but at least I still get to be here and I get to experience everything. And even though this is a hard thing to experience, it's still getting to experience. Right. There was that um, run that you had planned to do the morning of the accident. Yeah. And you were too tired or you just weren't in the mood. You just kind of fobbed it off. Yeah. And that, that sort of became this like um, measurement for you of like, if I can do something, I must do it because maybe yeah. I get the opportunity again. Can you tell us how that sort of drove you in later experiences? Yeah. So I, I think we, we tend to think that we have forever. And when you go through something like this, so life-changing and also such a close call to death, you realize how fragile life is and not even in a morbid way, but also just opportunities in general don't last forever. So if, it, if there's an opportunity in front of us, whether it be to do with career or a certain friendship or whatever it is, we assume it's going to be there waiting for us for whenever we're ready, but that's just not the case. So I try to, um, you know, remember that feeling of wanting something with my whole heart and not being able to do it. And then I remind myself the next time I want something with my whole heart and I do have the opportunity to do it, to take that opportunity before it passes me by. Yeah, it's really beautiful. There's a little passage from the book. I hope you don't mind that I want to read out. Oh, I love that. <laughs> also, this is a beautifully written book. Have oh, we thank you. That? Like, it's really quite special. Some of the sentences in here, I'm like, what? Oh, thank you. I always love knowing what parts people have highlighted or what stood out to them. So, yeah. well, this is just sort of around this idea of if you can, you must. It says, so from my past and present self, let me say this to my future self and to you. Whatever that thing is that niggles away in the back of your mind, the thing you think about right before you fall asleep, the one that lights you up inside, whatever it is you keep putting off for another tomorrow because you can't be bothered right now. If you are capable of doing it and you want to do it, you need to before it's too late, before you get the chance to wonder what if, before the parachute doesn't open, do it now because if you can, you must beautiful what are some of the moments for you now how long ago was the accident by the way nine years ago now oh, wow what are some so nine years later what are some moments where you say to yourself come on do this like if you can do this you must do this yeah even this year I had one of those moments um I got asked to walk in a in Australian fashion week 
which is something like I've never been to a fashion show in my life. It's just not something that's ever interested me and never something I imagined I would do. And, oh, and I got asked to walk in lingerie too. And I was just like, that's my initial thought was like, absolutely not. Like what, who do I think I am? And then I just thought, look, as someone who, as I said before, wants to experience any single thing I can in life, that includes things that are uncomfortable to me because it's so easy to say yes to things that we're used to doing. And I was like, look, this seems like a very once in a lifetime opportunity. It's very random that I've been asked and it's for an amazing cause. It was for everyone, the designers and all the other models had a disability. And I just thought what a special moment that is. And so even though I kind of wanted to say no, and I was terrified, I was like, this is one of those times where if I can, I must. And it ended up being an amazing experience. So beautiful. There's a little bit of the story we actually skipped over. So the listeners are aware is what, what, what have been the lasting results of, of that fall? Oh yeah. (laughs) So um, for me, physically, there were four main things that were affected. And before I had a spinal cord injury, I just assumed if someone was in a wheelchair, they couldn't move their legs. And that was that. I didn't know there was so many other factors involved. Uh, But for me, the four main things were loss of movement which I'm really lucky to have regained a lot of. My calves are still paralyzed, so I can't um, run or jump or go on my tippy toes. So I walk with a limp. Um, I still don't have feeling from the waist down, uh, which is fine most of the time, but it affects balance because you use the feeling in your legs to know where your legs are in relation to your body and the ground. I mean, I naively perhaps or perhaps most people think this as well but I just assumed if you couldn't feel your legs you wouldn't be able to walk on them yeah I assumed that too but there's two separate nerves there's the motor and the sensory nerve and so for me my sensory nerve must have been more damaged than the motor um, which enabled that to heal a little bit um what else the two other main things are incontinence so I lost bladder and bowel function so I had to learn to use things like catheters and enemas and not only can I not go but I don't have those internal sensations of feeling like I need to go like it's it's so bizarre I can't even remember what it it feels yeah when hey you can't remember what it felt like before yeah and like when people because now it's been so long and when people say I'm so busting and I remember I don't remember the feeling, but I remember being younger. And when you're busting, like it's so painful and you're like, I have to go right now. And I just can't remember what that's like at all. <laughs> you're so right. I mean, that, mo- that moment of busting, you feel like your world's ending and everything's yep. going to crumble. Yeah. And then yep. the fact that you can't feel that anymore and, and you'd probably really like to every now and then. Yeah, I'd love to know because now I have accidents as well. So I'd love to know when my blood is full so I can yeah. go to, the- I just have to guess. So logistically, if you don't mind talking about it, what you sort of like empty your bladder in the morning and then are you sort of monitoring how much you're drinking throughout the day? Yeah, I do it every hour. I go to the bathroom. So we were told in the spinal ward, you really only should need to do it every four hours, but something, I don't know, my bladder is just very severely injured. And also I think it's quite small because I have so many friends, um, paraplegics and quadriplegics and they can just do a few catheters throughout the day I'm like I don't know why but I have to if I don't do one every single hour then I'll just be soaking wet so for me it's yeah keeping track of how much I've drank but just going every hour and wearing big incontinence pads in the meantime as well okay yeah for safety and all that so how do you feel sort of like 
how does it work for you now, like doing day-to-day stuff where you're away from your house for long periods of time or perhaps going to events, you know, like the runway event? How yeah. have you sort of managed that? And have you sort of lost some of the, I guess, I don't know if embarrassment is the right word, but some of those maybe shame moments that the rest of us would maybe feel had not having not experienced it before. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely don't like, I could not care less now. I don't feel embarrassed. I'm more just, it's more just annoying yeah. sometimes annoying that I have to get changed, annoying that I always have to find a bathroom. Um, so yeah, some things, I, it just, everything requires more planning now. So yeah. probably the thing that I miss the most wouldn't be, yeah, wouldn't be, um, bladder function or like being able to move properly or all these things. It would just be the carefree feeling in my brain of not having to think about my body. Cause now it's always thinking about where am I going? Where are the bathrooms? How many catheters do I pack? Will I be able to walk that far? Like there's just a lot of internal thoughts going on 24 yeah. seven. Um, but yeah, after so long, you just adapt to it and catheters have become second nature and everyone in my life knows about it. I have accidents literally all the time. No one cares. Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing what you can get used to when in the beginning it seemed so unnatural and so impossible to ever come to terms with, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, it actually brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is adaptability, because, you know, you, you've had to adapt a lot in these last what, nine years it's been. This episode is airing during Sagittarius season, and one of the biggest qualities of Sagittarius is their ability to be adaptable. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's something I do really want to discuss with you. Do you feel like, I mean, there was a lot of adapting happening along the way, obviously, as you were learning to walk and getting out of the wheelchair and all that sort of stuff. But the incontinence and the bladder stuff, I think that chapter was called adaptability, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that's sort of where it kind of started for you. Is that right? And and do you feel like you have taken this practice of adaptability into your life beyond that? Yeah, absolutely. I realized that we all adapt to so many things without us even knowing. For example, like, have you had braces? Or- no. I okay. Well, when I first had braces put on, it just felt so like, painful and unnatural in my mouth and so scratchy on my tongue and I just thought I'm never going to get used to this feeling Mm. and then by the time it came two years later or whatever to get my braces off it was so normal to me that when I got my braces off that was the weird feeling I was like my teeth are so slimy like it just all feels weird and so that's just a very basic example of the kind of thing that we can adapt to even when in, when we finish school, we're so used to going to school every day and doing that routine. And then when we end, it seems so far-fetched, but then you adapt to that lifestyle as well. And so I knew that it was something we were doing all the time, but I guess with, um, with practice and with doing it with bigger things like learning to be incontinent, you learn to trust yourself more and trust that process of adapting more. So now when something pops up and I just think like, this will never be normal I will never come to terms with this this is not this is not right I in the back of my head know one day it will feel normal even if I don't want it to one day I will be able to deal with this thing and it won't it won't be taking up 99% of my headspace anymore right and I'm yeah and that's something we can all learn from like I as you were talking then I was thinking about the pandemic 
yeah exactly when it first hit we were all like oh my god what are all these things these restrictions these masks and then we just adapted and it was normal and we didn't think twice about it exactly and it's not that that thing is now wanted like obviously (laughs) we don't want it but it's amazing that we can accept it and learn to live with that thing that we thought we couldn't live with yeah and find joy and peace and all these other emotions you know through that experience yeah I'm going to take the tone down a little bit for a second. This was something that really, really shocked me. And again, maybe I'm ignorant and naive, but it was the insurance companies and the lawyers that you were dealing with. Oh yeah, that shocked me too. (laughs) Right. I thought that we get travel insurance in case something happens to us. And then we tell the insurance company that we had an accident and we cannot walk or we're learning to walk or whatever our disability is. And then we are awarded money for having gone through such trauma. Yeah. That that is not the case, is it? Not the case. Well, the travel insurance side of it actually was quite easy. And I, because they paid for my time in Switzerland and the airplane back, but travel insurance only lasts until you get home. And so I still have the rest of my life to live at home. So yeah, the travel insurance side, easy people I was out of it so someone else dealt with that for me maybe it wasn't that straightforward (laughs) but it was the lifelong compensation for needing to use catheters and having physio all of that that was really difficult and was that so was that insurance claim against the skydiving business or is that like who's that case against against their insurance company their insurance company yeah okay so for people who haven't read the book and hope and you don't have to reveal everything because hopefully they will read the book but what what were the things that surprised you about that process um I was surprised that even though my accident was something that there were witnesses for there were um police reports there were investigations someone admitted fault like there were all the all the things that you would need to say that this very much happened she's not lying about it um that as well as then when it came to my medical uh injuries and living with disability they were also very much facts like you can see on the scan my spinal cord injury I had all the doctor's reports so everything was very factual and even though everything was in my favor in that way I still was so doubted and questioned and made to feel like I was lying about something and covering up something. And that that's what surprised me because I, I obviously, which sucks, but there's so many instances of people who would lie for the sake of a claim to get a payout. But I just didn't think it would be that difficult when you have hard, <laughs> indisputable evidence of what happened. Absolutely. I think yeah. what was and I will use the word disturbing because it was what I found so disturbing when reading about it was the procedures that they put you through, not just once, but several times. And especially when you got to Switzerland and you had to go through a whole new round of it. I mean, that sounded so traumatic, that experience. And I'm sure it was traumatic for you too. At what point, at what point were you sort of like, you know, how much more of this do I have to endure? Or was there just, you just like, I'm just going to have to keep going until this goes through. Yeah, I definitely got to the point. Oh, so I was told by my lawyers that claims like this are dragged on for so long with the intention of getting you to pull out because it does get so traumatic and it gets so 
hard to deal with that you want to pull out. So that is why they make them so difficult and so long because people get to the place where they're like, I'm done, forget it. I don't need the payout. And I definitely got to that stage. I would have um, pulled out if I could, but I knew that I had so many years worth of lawyer fees built up that I would have had absolutely no way to pay for them. And medical bills. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was honestly so traumatic that I thought I'll find a way to pay for these medical bills. I just want it to be over. But um, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pay for it. Like lawyers are so expensive. So I just had to keep going. Which And I, I want to point out because I, I was nervous writing about it because above all of that, I knew that I was so lucky to even have a claim because there's so many people, my real life friends included, who are living with the exact same things or are far worse off than me physically, but because their accident happened in a different way where there was no one at fault or there's just no insurance for whatever reason, they didn't get compensation. And so I feel very lucky that there was even that option for me. But still, I wanted to write about it because I don't think it makes the process okay. And also it was very much a huge um, pivotal part of my life. So I felt it it wouldn't feel right to not include it. Yeah. And I think also what you said um, about how the lawyers were trying to, I mean, your case was so bad as it was. And yes, I know you keep saying there's people that are worse off than you, but you know, the the case itself was pretty bad, but the lawyers were trying to make it look even worse than it was while you were trying to be positive and get on with your life and walk as much as you could. And they were telling you, no, don't do that. That looks bad. Or take down that Instagram post where you're having fun and smiling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was very contrasting because I I knew that the best way for me to move forward physically would be to not talk about this thing that had happened every day and to not focus on all the ways that my body wasn't working the way it used to and to find ways to feel joy and just live despite all of these things that were going on. But because of the case, I was forced to not only talk about it all the time, but because I could walk again, that was seen as a negative thing because it looked like I was fully healed, even though there were all these other things going on in the background. And even though I still walk with a limp and blah, 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 it looked like I was fine. And so it was just so odd to have what you see as this huge achievement and something that you're so, so grateful for and treasure so much to then be viewed as a negative thing. It was just very confusing. Yeah. And I think perhaps someone who is not a, well, I don't want to say is switched on, but you know, you know yourself pretty well. There's so many people that would fall into that trap, right? And mm. fall down on themselves and start to believe all that stuff and maybe not have the motivation to get out of bed when you're having to deal with those lawyers and the insurance company all the time. I remember, yeah. saying, I remember you saying in the book that one of the hardest things about that process going on for so long was that you had to keep reliving that experience again and again and again and you didn't want it to be your identity because you were so much more than that yeah exactly and it's like when else would you go up to someone in life and say tell me about the worst day of your life in great detail and let's talk about it every week (laughs) and not in a productive way just rehash it 
Like we would just never do that to someone. No, never. So tell me now then, having written this brilliant book and and I'm sure you're talking about it again a lot, you know, it was funny. I I'd read the book a couple of months ago, but I reread the last few chapters this morning and I think you said something about, you know, having to talk about the accident over and over again. It can, you know, it can get taxing and boring because it is the least interesting part of all of it. And I thought, oh God, we're going to have to talk about it again. But, but no, it's, it's <laughs> fine in, in times like this because it's not, um, you know, it leads to other conversations. It's setting the scene to a bigger conversation. Whereas some interviews are just like, oh my God, like, tell me more about the fall. Like that must've been horrible. I'm like, yes. And then, and then that's the end of the interview. I feel like there is a part of you that must sort of want to build your identity outside of this experience. But having written this book, you know, The Girl Who Fell From The Sky, this is the cover if anyone's watching the video. Um, oh, I didn't know this was a video. <laughs> well, Hi, everyone. It's like a tiny snippet. Hello. No, <laughs> it's just in a little private group, this video. Um, but, you know, for people reading it, that's who, that's who you're identified as really and who follow your Instagram but but what's your identity going forward like how how do you sort of move past this now well I really hoped that um people would acknowledge and appreciate the actual writing itself because I always wanted to write a book my whole life and I never assumed it would actually be about my life I always assumed it would be fiction but writing a book is something I've always wanted to do and so it's, it's like that thing I said before, the accident is something that happened to me, but writing is something that I made happen and that's something I feel um, that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing. And so I really hoped that people would notice that element of it and not just like the story because it's an interesting and unique story. Because um, obviously a skydiving accident, I get why it's interesting. It's so rare and intriguing. Um, but in saying that, I I would love to write more books and yeah, not not about this, whether it be about other things in my life or fiction books, whatever it is, I would love to continue writing. And I would love you to do that, honestly. Like <laughs> as I was reading it, I don't I don't know if you know this, but I'm a writer. I've written several books. Oh and God, congrats! Thank you. But I recognize good writing, and it was fantastic. Like honestly. Oh, really thank you. Yeah, thank really, you. really beautifully written. So yeah, I hope you do do that. Thank you. And yeah, it's it's tricky because obviously this is such a huge part of my identity, but I hope, and I do hope that reading the book, the answers to all the skydiving parts of the question are in there. So when people talk to me, that's not the first thing they want to know about because hopefully they've already read about those finer details. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, there was one thing you said right at the end um it was around joy and how finding joy really is about your perspective are there moments now in your everyday life where you're seemingly maybe not feeling joy and having to find a new perspective in order to access that oh yeah absolutely and I think it's fine to have those moments and I feel I'm very good at letting myself cry if I want to cry or feel angry or whatever it is but I think the trick is knowing how long to let yourself be in that and when it's time to be like okay we've been sad a while like let's build back up again and I I think I've got really good at knowing with the things that work for me which is so different for everyone but for me it's it's the very basic things that we're always told like 
going outside or doing exercise or calling a friend, even when I don't feel like talking to anyone, just doing, I very much learned the things that will make me feel even the tiniest bit better, which are often the things you don't want to do when you're down, but you know that if you force yourself to do them, you'll be at least a little bit better off for it. Yeah, beautiful. It has been so nice talking to you, Emma. Honestly, you are such a ray of sunshine. You probably hear that all the time, but you really are. Thank you. You're so lovely. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. The book is brilliant. Everyone must read it. Even if you think you know the story, you don't know the ins and outs of it. And like I said, I did cry a few times because it's really touching and it puts your own life in perspective. And I think your own experiences that you feel limited by or whatever it might be. So um, yeah, if people want to find out more about you, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, Probably on Instagram, which is M underscore Kerry. And I have all the links to where you can find the book there. And I'm one of those people whose Instagram captions are the absolute maximum length that they're allowed to be. (laughs) And always beautifully written. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.